Hello out there to all my listeners, and thank you for joining me for yet another episode of The Mark Geist Show. This is Mark Geist, your host, and I'm really excited for this episode. A ton of great news really presented itself over the last couple days, and I'm going to be talking about two of my favorite topics. So I'm very excited about this one. I hope you are too. I hope my enthusiasm comes across, but I'm going to be discussing the Fed and the federal student loan program and about the higher education industry in the United States. Two of my favorite topics to talk about. I could go on all day, but I am going to try to keep it short, keep it limited, keep it to about that, uh, you know, 30 to 45 minute target, um, if not even less, but I can really talk about this all day. Uh, So first I want to talk about the smaller portion of the two. So the uh, the second part, the, the part about the Fed is going to be a significantly longer discussion because there's a lot more to weave in there. There are several different stories, several, several different quotes that I want to bring together and and discuss what, what is the Fed going to do, what has the Fed done wrong, and uh, why isn't more criticism of the Fed coming mainstream. But I think that more criticism, more criticism of the Fed is coming and you're starting to see it come out of the mainstream. And I think it's going to get to a point where they're not going to be able to avoid it anymore. It's going to be something they have to talk about. But first, I want to discuss one of the bigger news stories from today is ITT Tech said that it's going to permanently close all of its campuses, campuses nationwide. And they are blaming the recent move by the U.S. Department of Education to ban ITT Tech from enrolling new students who use federal financial aid. So ITT Tech was under sanctions, I guess would be the right word to call it. And uh, the the U.S. Department of Education decided you were no longer to you're no longer able to accept students that are taking federal federal financial aid. And ITT Tech tried to survive as long as possible, and they finally decided today to fold. And they're immediately folding and really the big losers in all this. So the students, the people whose jobs are being lost, they are big losers in, in this situation because many of them just started a, a new school year. Many of them may have already paid some money out of pocket and maybe out of that, uh, the people whose jobs were lost, obviously losing your job is a huge deal. But anybody who already had federal student loans and had already taken them out for their ITT education and had left the school within the last 120 days, uh, they will be eligible to have those student loans forgiven. So the taxpayers are going to take a big hit on this. So not only are you going to have many students losing out and the people whose jobs are being lost losing out, but you are now also going to have the taxpayers losing out. And not just those that are being forgiven will impact the taxpayers because now anybody that's gotten an ITT tech education in the past and especially recently, but the value of that ITT tech degree is going to be significantly less than it was before. I mean, I don't know how much value it had to start with, but now that the school is closing down, it's, it's very unlikely that that degree is going to continue to hold value in whatever field uh, 
was being studied and it's it's very difficult to imagine people that have graduated over the past few years from ITT Tech now being able to repay their loans assuming that they you know took out loans to finance a majority of their education so this is just another example of the huge failures of the United States federal student loan program and I've talked about it in several different episodes on this show I just went through the collegiate experience um, I'm currently paying off my student loans. I did take out federal student loans. I will have them repaid, though, it looks like by the end of this year. And I've gone balls to the wall just to get out of the whole mess, to get them paid off, and to be over with that chapter of my life. But I've seen a ton of my friends have their lives ruined, and if not ruined, really changed forever, where they're going to be paying off this mortgage for the next 25 years the next 30 years or they're going to take a job that otherwise they wouldn't take so that they can get their student loans forgiven 10 years down the line you know the payments that they have to make and the debt that they're under is forcing them to make choices that they otherwise wouldn't make now you will never see me arguing for a taxpayer funded higher education system. I think that is a horrible idea. You can go back and listen to me in the past. I've never endorsed anything close to that. But what I would like to see is a free market in education. And I think having a situation like this is just another example of the taxpayers getting screwed by this system. And you're also screwing the students and teachers as well from these schools. But it has just been a, a colossal mess. And you now have $1.3 trillion in indebtedness to student loans, which is a fantastically huge number. And all of that, I mean, the vast majority of that, the reason why it's that large is because of the federal student loan program. And I don't know how many times people have to say it, People know that it's an issue, but nobody seems to understand what the actual cause of the issue is. The issue isn't to expand government's role in education. The government is what caused this mess, and the government is what has screwed these kids over, and the government is who has screwed over the taxpayers. Because they created this system where students could take out these student loans and go to ITT Tech. And then all of a sudden... Over a pretty short time span, they decide to they decide that ITT Tech is a target. The Department of Education goes after them. And now all of a sudden they say, you know what, no more no more student loan money is allowed to be taken by ITT Tech. And ITT Tech and all their buildings, everything was built up around the basically guarantee that student loan money was going to continue to be there, that federal financial aid money was going to continue to be there. And this is not the only college that has sprung up and has developed completely beholden to federal money. There are countless colleges across the country that if you pulled their ability to take students that were using federal financial aid, they would be bankrupt. They would be going out of business just like ITT Tech is now. So I don't think it's anything special to do with ITT Tech. It's that the government has this ultimate power over these schools because they've had this free money or this money that 
is there for the taking and it's allowed the free market to be distorted. So it's, it's allowed colleges now to raise their prices far beyond what they would be in a free market. And they operate as if those, they're going to be able to charge those rates of tuition forever. That the federal gravy, that the federal gravy train isn't going anywhere. That's how they're operating. And there are colleges all over the country doing this. And I'd be willing to bet a majority of the colleges across this country operate that way. They can't envision a system without the federal government doling out tons of taxpayer money to students in order, to, in order for them to go to school and pay inflated tuitions. But the fact that this happened to ITT Tech, it's a, it's a well-known school. You hear their commercials all the time. Like I said, I don't really know how much value is placed on a degree like this in the marketplace or how much value was placed before. I know now it's significantly less than whatever it was before, but it's a well-known name. If you say ITT Tech to somebody, they know what it is. But what I hope people get from this story is that this is not an isolated incident. This is not that this is not just ITT Tech operating poorly. This is not just mistakes that they made. This is representative of the majority of the higher education industry in the United States. And the government has created this topsy-turvy market that isn't a free market where they've subsidized these tuitions and these colleges have, have expanded far beyond what they would have in an actual free market. And it's, it's waiting to collapse. And if at any point that student loan bubble Bursts, which if you look at if you look at the rates of default right now on federal student loans, it's pretty staggering. And with how much other debt the United States is in, with really the just the poor financial condition that this country is in, I don't know what kind of losses the taxpayers can take. I don't know I don't know how long you can let this continue to go and let this continue to build. I think it has to burst at some point. And when that happens, you are going to have this happening all over the country. And not just to for-profit schools, but to other public colleges, to private colleges. I mean, you're going to have it all over the place. They're all dependent, or the vast majority of them are dependent on federal student loan money. And of course, I still think that the program needs to be ended. And I'm in favor of going through that short-term pain in order to get us back to a sensible market in higher education. But there will be a lot of pain because this is this is a microcosm of the higher education industry in America. And it's sad, and it's sad that we're going to have more instances like this where students are screwed over, where professors are screwed over, administrators are screwed over, and where the taxpayers are screwed over. This is going to continue to happen. It's not an isolated incident. But maybe if, if we can learn from this and if we can start to adjust before this bubble gets larger and larger, before we continue to let this expand out of control, if we start to take, measure, if we start to take measures now, we can maybe mitigate some of that pain and make it a little bit easier for us to finally find sensible free markets in higher education again. But seeing this this morning... And really reading about it, it's not like ITT, ITT Tech was, you know, throwing people's money around 
or you know that there was fraud going on there was none of that happening here it was that one year they have the ability to take students with with federal student loan and financial aid money in the next year they can't that's all that happened and look at what happened they 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 couldn't last and that's what would happen to most schools around the country if the same thing was to happen to them and it shows how tenuous this industry is and how propped up it is so that was what i wanted to open with kind of a a shorter diatribe on ITT Tech and how it's bigger than just that story, I think. I think that this is just representative of the higher education industry in the United States as a whole. But the larger story or stories that I wanted to talk about all have to do with the Fed. So the first thing I saw was Donald Trump talking about the Fed and actually saying some pretty smart things about the Fed. You know, he's saying it in his in his kind of way where, yeah, it's rough around the edges, but I think he gets what's going on. And you get the you get this glimmer of hope every once in a while with him that you know what, maybe he just does understand the problems and he's saying enough to signal to the people that, that know what's going on, like to signal to them that he actually knows what's going on. But then he has ninety percent of what he says is appealing to the, the lowest common denominator. But here's the quote he had regarding the Fed. He said the Fed is, quote, keeping the rates artificially low so the economy doesn't go down so that Obama can say he did a good job. They're keeping the rates artificially low so that Obama can go out and play golf in January and say that he did a good job. It's a very false economy. We have a bad economy. Everybody understands that, but it's a false economy. The only reason the rates are low is so that he can leave office and he can say, see, I told you so. And then uh, later in this, he said about Janet Yellen, quote, so far, I think she's done a political job. You understand that. And then once again, later in his discussion about whether or not we're going to have a rate hike in September, quote, well, the only thing that's strong is the artificial stock market. That's only strong because it's free money because the rates are so low. It's an artificial market. It's a bubble. So the, so the only thing that's strong is the artificial market that, they, that they're created until January. It's so artificial because they have free money. It's all free money. When rates are low like this, it's hard not to have a good stock market. And then he said again later, quote, at some point the rates are going to have to change. So like I said, he, he he's not saying it in the in the way that maybe all of us would like to hear and it is rough around the edges but he gets what's going on and he what he's saying is that the stock market constantly hitting new all-time highs that is not representative of the main street economy in the united states that's not representative of all the other indicators and the markets now have become so distorted that all that they react to is the fed so if the Fed says something dovish, then the stock markets rise. If the Fed says something hawkish, the stock markets fall. That's the biggest indicator of what's going to happen in the stock market is the Fed's actions. And this is happening all over the world. It's not just in the U.S. markets, but it happens with, with the European Central Bank and the European stock exchanges. Same thing happens over there. The biggest indicators are what is the ECB doing? It, this happens all over the world. So it's not something unique to the United States. 
But this is a such a distorted economy. And anybody that's trying to take the stock market numbers and trying to apply that to to say this is how the economy is performing, it is just ridiculous. And I think Trump understands that. And I don't know if he I don't know if he understands what the right solution is. And I'm you probably know what my solution is is get somebody in there that's willing to suffer through the short-term pain. And maybe somebody with Trump's money and his popularity, maybe he's willing to go in and do the hard stuff for the next four years and is willing to take us through a, a year, year and a half, two-year-long recession in order to get things on the right track again, to start to, to start to get free markets moving again and get us out of this just ridiculously distorted rate environment that we're in right now. But so much else of what he says makes me believe that won't happen. And he has these these small moments of clarity within a lot of moments of insanity. But then in response to this, Clinton slammed Trump for, quote, commenting on Fed actions. So she, she, was, <laughs> she was responding to what Trump had to say. And she basically said presidents and presidential candidates should not comment on Federal Reserve actions. And she said that because Trump was talking about this, he should not be president. Now, this right here, this shows who is paying Hillary and who has bought Hillary off. And it's all the Wall Street people. And this is what the, the Bernie fans know. This is what the, the vast majority of the right knows is that. That's who Hillary's base is, the Wall Street donors. They're the ones who are willing to pay her exorbitant amounts to come and speak to them. But the fact that everything, everything, you, you can talk about anything you want, but just don't talk about the Fed. Don't criticize the Fed. You can't bring the Fed into this. Think about how ridiculous that sounds. You know, she, she doesn't say things like this when foreign policy is on the table, even when immigration is on the table. But the Fed... You know, you can't go there. You can't discuss that. And I think the reason is she knows that a lot of people who are Trump supporters, are Trump fans, maybe don't know anything about the Fed. Most of the American people don't know anything about the Fed. And they see Trump saying these things, and maybe they're going to go out and do some research on their own. And they're going to see what a colossal disaster the Fed policy has been over the last, I mean, you could go back 20 years and look at how disastrous Fed policy has been. But they could look more recently and look at how poor of a job Janet Yellen has done, how she has gone out to do a political job, like Trump said. That is what she is doing. And Barney Frank came out and actually proved all of us right, all of us who have been saying that Yellen is going to wait until after the election to raise rates in hopes, in hopes of keeping her job. But Barney Frank came out and said publicly for her to do that please please keep rates low so that hillary gets elected and i think that's been the plan all along but it's just surprising that somebody from the democratic establishment would actually come out and say that publicly but that's exactly what we have been saying and i say we it's it's a big group of people fed criticizers people that uh i mean a lot of them are libertarian leaning, but it's kind of a loose coalition of a lot of different people that just have seen this game played before 
and understand what the final goal is. And ultimately, think about the incentives that you have if, if you're Fed chair and you see, okay, yes, the president who appointed me is going to leave office, but Hillary Clinton, who she has been selling herself as a third term of Obama, if she comes into office, she's likely to keep me. She's, not, she's probably not going to change and, and take me out of my role as Fed chair. But if Donald Trump comes in and wins the election, there is no way that that happens. I mean, especially now with all of these comments, somebody else will be Fed chair. So obviously she's going to act in her best interest, and she thinks her best interest is to do what I need to do to stay in this role. You know, really one of the most powerful roles on the planet. You know, it's not quite on the level of President of the United States, but you could probably put it in the top top 20 roles in the in the entire world that's how powerful the position of chair of the federal reserve board is so she's she's operating rationally i understand why she's doing it but that's why it makes it so easy to explain and why it was so easy to see from months upon months ago another important piece of news that came out that i want to make sure i i get in here uh, is the fed's labor market indicator and this is a singular statistic that basically encapsulates the performance of, of the labor markets. It posted yet another negative result, another negative number in August. So since the Fed raised rates in December from uh, the Fed funds rate from 0 to 25 basis points to 25 to 50 basis points, the, the target Fed funds rate, that indicator has been negative in seven of the eight months since. And this goes along with many other negative indicators that we've gotten since then, especially recently. Anybody that's been following the, following the data coming out about employment and coming out about wages, it's, it's virtually all negative and it's all scary. And I don't think this is, this is not an environment where the Fed can raise rates. But things aren't trending in the right direction, so it stands to wonder when are we ever going to be in a position to raise rates. And like I've said before, they're going to be forced to do it. And they're going to be forced to do it by a crisis in the dollar, where finally some of this inflation starts to hit home. And they have a choice between letting inflation continue to run rampant or they raise rates. And that's a terrible situation to be put in because you're, you're completely reactive at that point rather than proactive. But that's, that's where they've backed themselves into. That's the corner they've backed themselves into. And I don't think there's an escape. I mean, even if you started aggressively raising rates now, you're still going to have a massive recession. I mean, even raising that target to 50 to 75 basis points at the September meeting, that would trigger a significant recession. I mean, if we're not already in one, and that's without having raised rates any further. So we're in this dangerous environment where there, there's no good way out. So I think the rational choice for Yellen is to point to these, these weak statistics, continue to keep rates low through the November meetings. Hopefully for her, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying I hope that this is the case, but the markets haven't tanked by then. And Hillary Clinton is elected president. 
and she gets to keep her job. And then at the December meeting, they can choose to raise rates, potentially. But I don't see them doing it before that. I think both these next two meetings are going to point to, to the negative data points. There are plenty out there. And they're going to try to still sit in the middle and say, oh, you know, the economy is still strong. Look at the stock market. But there's just not quite enough there yet to raise rates. Or point to there might be some other issue going on in, in a foreign country, something going on in China or something going on in Europe. Uh, there are plenty of things that they could point at globally as well. So I'm sure that will be part of it too. But this is just a, a horrible position for them to be in. And it's so obvious now how, politi how politicized the Fed's actions have become. And they deserve much more criticism. And I'm hoping that Trump coming out and saying this precipitates more discussion about this in a public forum. Because the American people deserve to know more about this. They should understand more about how the Fed operates. But nobody wants them to know how the Fed operates. Because then I think things would start to make a lot more sense. They'd start to know who actually is screwing me. And oftentimes, who, who, the person who's actually screwing you does a really good job of not making it seem like it's them screwing you. And I think that's what's happening with the Fed and with the average American person. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out. I mean, I wish I didn't have to be living within it so that I have to experience the fallout because it's not going to be pretty. And... I don't know exactly what to expect or when it's going to start, but the bad news is starting to pick up. And every day there's a bad indicator. Every day it looks like we might be that much closer to, to falling off the edge. And this is really an unprecedented time in history, playing with monetary policy like this uh, and having rates this low. And the, the thing is in the US, they're not even as low as they are globally. And I saw another story today, uh, and I'm not, I don't have this up, so I can't read from it, but two European companies were able to issue negative yielding bonds, which is asinine. I mean, it's asinine enough that central banks themselves can issue negative yielding debt, but that's still government debt, and it's significantly safer than corporate debt in most cases at least the government you know uh japan and uh the ecb but the fact that you now have companies being able to issue negative yielding debt is pretty crazy and it's just another step where people that thought i don't know how far this can go you know this already feels so ridiculous it feels like any day now this could just all be over and, you know, we could be in a, in a global type recession. I don't mean to sound alarmist or anything, but when you see things that have never happened before and you've never had interest rates this low in all of recorded human history, when you start to see things like that happen, completely unprecedented things, you start to think about the worst case scenario. And I think it's very rational to think of the worst case scenario because any time that something happens that's completely unprecedented, Often that is what happens. The reaction to it or the effects from it are unlike anything that we could have really pictured beforehand. And so I think that's where we are right now. 
And it's going to be extremely interesting to see how this all falls out. And I am kind of looking forward to being able to say, I told you so. We told you so. Even though, you know, we're going to be enduring pain as well. Everybody that's saying we told you so is also going to be enduring pain because it's going to be a hard time for everybody. Because you're going to see your retirement accounts fall. You may see the value of your savings fall. Um, the markets aren't going to stay at this inflated level forever. The dollar is not going to stay this strong. And so you're going to see a lot of, a lot of that type of pain. But it will be fulfilling, I mean, to finally see the people that have said, yeah, governments can issue debt as much as they want, and there are no ill effects. Saying things as ridiculous as that, where if you applied them to individuals, it would sound absolutely ridiculous. Where, oh yeah, an individual is going through a rough time, now it's time to ramp up and take out as much debt as you possibly can. Those are the types of things that, that people have been saying, that the mainstream economists have been saying. I know I'm very oversimplifying the whole issue. But, I mean, if you if you really boil it down to its core, that's what a lot of these people have been saying. So it will be fun to an extent to be able to say, we told you so. And um, it's going to be a fun story to follow because this is something I think that that's going to be talked about in our history books down the line. You know, we may be sitting there at, at 70, 80 years old and be talking about, yeah, I remember 2016 and, and that election between Clinton and Trump and uh, when, when rates were at virtually 0% for eight years and then the dollar crashed and, and the stock markets fell like crazy and it made that that crash in 2008 looked like nothing. I mean, I can really see that coming down the line. And every day makes me more sure of that. The more negative news that we get and the more that I see these central banks trying to do whatever they can to tread water and avoid the pain, the worse I know it's going to be when it when everything does finally hit the fan. So I hope I haven't depressed you too much. Um, I think... There are always going to be opportunities for smart, industrious people uh, who approach this correctly to be just fine. And I think people that have seen what's coming, they're going to be fairly well prepared for whatever's coming. But I think there are going to be a lot of negative impacts that you can't control. So I think just being aware, being aware of the many risks out there right now and not having too much of your money tied up in you know, the U.S. stock market or in the dollar and hopefully having things spread around a little bit. I think that's that's all you can do right now. But you can't let it overtake your life. And all, really, I think the best thing to do is to distance yourself from it and kind of laugh at it and see what happens. I think this is part of history, like I said. And there is something kind of kind of fun about being part of history, even if it's negative history. So this is, this is going to be a very fun story to follow. I'm going to try to update on this as much as possible. I said way too much way too much in terms of juicy tidbits and nuggets that I had to share having to do with the Fed and Trump's comments and everything. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to try to keep this as a recurring part of my show because it's one of the things I'm most interested in, one of the things I've been following the closest, and one of the things I think that affects us far more than, than the vast majority of us can even realize. 
So thank you for listening. Uh, hopefully I'll have another one of these out later this week. I really appreciate the subscriptions. You can subscribe on Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn. Uh, we're just about everywhere by now. So tell a friend, and I really appreciate the support.